We're in Hebrews chapter 10, and we've got 18 verses to read. So let me start. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire. Nor were you pleased with them, although they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has, been made, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is the word of the Lord. About, gosh, I'll try to remember, about 25 years or so, I spoke at an evangelistic service at Exeter University, gave an appeal, and at the end, I think it was four or five people made a response. And I was chatting to them afterwards, and one guy had a fascinating story. I said, what was it that made you come along to a Christian meeting? He said, well, as I was coming to university, I thought I ought to read the Bible, because it must, be, must have been one of the most influential books in the history of the world. Um, and it's fascinating. I'm in the middle of Leviticus. Started at the beginning, and someone invited this me to this meeting, and I'm glad I came, because I've heard about Jesus and I've become a Christian. But I have a question for you, Ian. Can you explain the significance of the wave offering to Jesus' death on the cross? <laughs> Any help? We've got clergy? We've got at least one first in theology in the, in the room? What's the answer to that? Anne, do you want to contribute? <laughs> Sarah? Pass. 
kind of uncanny. It's almost as if they were there, because that was exactly how I was. And I have to say, after 25 years of reflection and reading the Bible, I've still got no clue of what the significance is of the wave offering and Jesus' death. The, the sacrificial system, when you zoom into the detail, can be really difficult to get your head around. This chapter is more of a, a zoom out, look at the whole thing and how Jesus' death relates to it. So let's start. First three verses or so. What was the point of all these sacrifices? Particularly, well, particularly if you're a vegetarian, I might add, but particularly if they were ineffective, as the passage tells us, in removing guilt. We're told in verse 1, they can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The fact that they're constantly repeated shows they're not a permanent fix for the problem of dealing with guilt. And we're told, verse 2, for the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. So far from just removing that sense of guilt and need for forgiveness that everyone feels, they became more a a regular reminder of our guilt because the sacrifices in themselves couldn't change people. And verse 4 kind of is the final nail. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And you may well ask, if it's impossible, what the heck was the point? It's something that points to cleansing and forgiveness, but ultimately had no chance of achieving what it pointed to. So what was the point of the sacrificial system? And it's all very strange if you read the detail. To 21st century Western eyes in particular. How do we understand it? Well, I think the best picture I've got is it's a a huge visual aid and constant reminder, if you're in it, of one key fact. And that's whatever the detail, a price needed to be paid for sin. A price needed to be paid for sin. Which, again, is a strange concept to modern ears. Sin is fundamentally rebellion. It's asserting independence when there's meant to be dependence. So what, you might say, in our society... Self-fulfillment is the goal, really. And this sounds like the opposite. And everybody struggles with this sense of wanting to assert their own will to a point that it's unhelpful. Uh, Our middle daughter, I vividly remember, she was about three when she first said, I do it my way. And that was kind of a theme through her life. <laughs> Two years later, we're sat at the dinner table and Dad is going to assert his paternal authority. Darling, if you don't eat that up, your mother's lovingly prepared it for you, if you don't eat that up, you're going to bed. At which point she got down from the table and said, 
well, I'll go to bed then. Climbed the stairs, got into her pyjamas, got into bed, switched the light off, closed the door. And Hilary looked at me and said, I don't think you won that one, darling. <laughs> Why do the books on parenting never tell you just how many failures you have? <laughs> Actually, if you're, reading, if you're a new parent, you're reading books on parents, they're missing the bad bits, and there are lots of them. Sorry about that. <laughs> so that's a funny story, and all parents can identify with that. But the, the, the reality is that independence of God that is the root of sin damages people and ruins societies. So how is a price needing to be paid? Several years ago, I was watching the news. It was the time of the war in the Balkans. And some of you are too old to remember it. And there was this awful scene on camera that they recorded live that they probably wouldn't do now. They went into a house, because um, they were with a British Army unit, went into a house, and they went down into the basement. And on the steps on the way, stairs down to the basement, the father and the son were, had both been shot. And they went down into the basement and all of the women had been killed. And the camera came back up, and um, the British Army, I think he was a major, he's now an MP actually, um, came out, they stopped um, an armed couple in a car, and this major put his very large frame through the open window and said, did you do that? Did you do what we just saw? Don't you think people who do that ought to go to hell? And I thought, hurrah for the British Army. And every time I've told that story, everyone nods. The thought that you can do awful things that are all too frequent on our screens at the moment, and God will say, never mind. That's awful, isn't it? Terrible that we should have a God that doesn't care about sin. And if the way to live your life is just the way you want with your own freedom of expression, well, isn't that what Vladimir Putin is doing at the moment? And the great part, one great part of the good news is that God doesn't ignore this, that one day people who deserve justice will get justice. So sin is serious. It affects our relationship with God, it affects our relationship with someone else. So back to the sacrificial system for a moment in verse 8. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Now, I mean, I read that and I thought, hang on a moment. God's not pleased with the sacrificial system which he commanded in great detail. So what's going on here? Well, there is the danger, isn't there, of empty ritual. And you know, we all have ritual. It takes, we're told, three weeks to create a habit. Uh, you don't have to be high church with smells and bells and a formal liturgy to do the same thing every week. And there's a kind of comfort we all have in the regular and the routine. It can become empty. It's not to say it's wrong, I've got a service order, 
by the minute with what we do. The minutes are optimistic, I have to say. <laughs> but, you know, it is useful for the next person coming up to know they're the next person coming up. You know, that's, that's not bad, it's fine, but it can become just a thing we go to and go, yes, 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 and go home, and it doesn't transform us. Well, it could be that. But actually what we're being told here is it's, it's more than that. That the sacrificing of animals wasn't the end. It pointed to something else. And the best people in those ancient societies saw that. That's why we've got psalms like the one that's quoted here. People knew as they were going into it that there must be something more. And the point of this chapter of Hebrews is the author, whoever he or she may be, there is a she as a possibility, um, which is, has no evidence, but it's a nice idea. Uh, whoever they were, they're trying to say that this whole system points to the final sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which achieved what the whole paraphernalia of the sacrificial system could not. Day after day, verse 11, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time, this is Jesus, one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The system told us how serious sin was. The system told us that a price needed to be paid. And in Jesus, we have the perfect sacrifice, the unique and final sacrifice. Well, stop and think for a moment about what that means. Apart from the fact that services are a lot less hassle and cleaner, now we don't have to have formal sacrifices. What it means is that because of Jesus' death, our sin is forgiven, we're made clean, and the price is paid. Our guilt is gone. The punishment lies on Jesus, so there's no longer any fear of judgment. We're even told... Verse 14, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I've often thought that one of the strangest things about heaven is the idea that I would be perfect, and I can't imagine that, and certainly my wife can't imagine that. You ever imagine what you would be like if you were perfect? I'm looking around and I can't imagine that for any of you, really. And you probably can't imagine it for me. But we're told because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have been made perfect and are being made holy. Which is slightly strange. There are two timescales there. Because Jesus died to pay the price for your sin and mine, we have been made guiltless. That's our legal status. No one can condemn us anymore because the price has been paid. That's God's view of you and me, if we've responded to Christ. But it also takes a lifetime of change to gradually be 
transformed by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ, to be made holy. We are perfect because of the death of Christ legally, but we're being made perfect morally day by day. Why do those of us who are Christians often struggle so much to believe that's true of us? We ran a a discipleship group for new Christians a while ago. And uh, we got to the bit about Jesus dying on the cross. And this lady who, well, I'll just say she had sinned much. Um, She wasn't terribly articulate. Um, I'm not even sure she could read. But when we got to the bit about forgiveness because of Jesus dying on the cross, she looked at me and she said, do you mean everything? You mean he forgives everything? And I said, yes, that's what it means. Jesus paid the price for everything wrong we'd ever done. He said, no, 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 not everything. You mean everything. And through, uh, we, the meeting went on for about an hour. And as we were chatting, there would be this voice at the back every now and then going, Everything. <laughs> everything it just started to sink into this lady that everything she'd ever done wrong and there was a list a long list was forgiven and that's true of you and me we may not have lived that kind of life why don't we respond more easily to it some of it's pride i think i do it my way (laughs) it doesn't work like that We need to admit that we're helpless before the God who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Sometimes I think we just misunderstand the offer that will be forgiven provided we're good boys and girls from now on. It doesn't really work like that. You're just forgiven. God's God's so generous. He says, you may turn your back on me, you may reject me, you may mess it up, but you can be forgiven completely anyway now. I think sometimes we just need reminding regularly of the price Jesus paid for us. That's why we take communion regularly. And that's what we're going to celebrate later. Finally, we're told in verses 16 and 17, there's a new covenant, a new agreement between God and humanity. Verse 16, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So it's no longer external laws, but internal change because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And verse 17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. I will remember no more. Isn't that amazing? God, who can't forget anything, chooses to forget everything you and I have ever done wrong. Isn't that amazing? I sometimes think we'll get to heaven and say, Lord, I'm glad, I'm glad you forgave me for that. And he'll go, what? I'm sorry, forgotten all that stuff. It's gone. It's covered. It's dealt with. So as we break bread, let's remind ourselves of the reality of forgiveness. Let me leave you with two questions. Firstly this. If you've never personally responded to that death of Christ on your behalf, let me urge you to do it. Going to church isn't what makes us Christians. It's that 
personal acceptance that I am a sinner and Christ died for my sins, not just the sins of the whole world. Have you responded to this great sacrifice on your behalf? And the second question is to those of us who are Christians, whether it's been a, a week or a decade or many decades, are you living still imprisoned by guilt? I think some of us are Christians, as Christians are like people in a prison when someone has opened the door and we're still sat there. This can't be true. There's a catch. It's true for everyone else, but not for me. None of those things are true. Jesus died to break the bonds of sin on our lives. Not just everyone else, but you or me, but for all of us. So my encouragement as we break bread is, the door of the prison is open. It's time to walk through it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us. Lord, there's so much we don't understand about all the sacrifices that went on thousands of years ago. But we now know what they all pointed to. Thank you for sending your son, Lord. We're, we're deeply sorry that we treat sin so lightly. Lord, forgive us that we love to make up our own rules about what's right and what's wrong as if we were gods ourselves. And Lord, thank you that when you do come to us and show us the sin in our own hearts, there's also forgiveness because you died for us. And Lord, my prayer for all of us this morning is that we leave knowing that sense of your forgiveness, rejoicing in what you've done, living in the freedom that Christ has won for us. Amen.